You doing all right? Doing good? No, Josh is good. Josh and Demi. It's an exciting, uh, exciting time for these guys. They're getting married tomorrow. Isn't this so exciting? So Lord, I pray you just bless this amazing couple. Lord, I pray that their, uh, their lives from uh, tomorrow on would just be full of your blessing and your favor. And God, I thank you that uh, marriage is just a, merge, a mirror sorry, of what uh, your relationship to the church is. And God, I just pray that they would just have so much of your presence right in the middle of all that they do. So bless them. We love them and look after them, Lord, in Jesus' name. And have a great day tomorrow, you guys. so exciting. It's amazing. <laughs> Yes, you will. Just make sure you turn off. That's the thing, isn't it? Just make sure you're there. <laughs> That's good. Uh, today, well, we're, uh, we've officially finished our series on um, Esther, which was the shadow mission and overcoming your shadow mission. And we're going to start a new series, which will probably see us past Christmas, to be honest. Uh, we're just thinking about all the different dates and people coming to visit and speak in, the, in, the, in between times. So we're probably going to go past Christmas with this, but we're uh, going to examine the Ten Commandments. And just at the very mention of us mentioning the Ten Commandments, I see a few of you squirming in your seats, all right? And you're thinking, how many of these have I broken this week? And you're like working out. Now, uh, or if you don't know what the Ten Commandments are, when you discover them, you may look retrospectively at how many you have broken as well, uh, if you're like me. But actually... The whole heart behind this is not to drive guilt. So we're not in this to try and make you feel guilty for uh, not following the Ten Commandments. Um, we're not in it for anything like that. We're actually in it to proclaim freedom. And that's actually what the Ten Commandments are about. They're actually about creating a culture of freedom, accelerating a culture of freedom, and actually for us to step into this invitation that God has for us. Um, now, we're not going to today, just today, we're not going to go through the list of the commandments today. Um, we're going to set a bit of a context, and then over the next few weeks, we're going to go through them individually, uh, and we'll explore what they mean for us today as well within that. But today, we're just going to set, um, set the culture and the context of everything that's going to be spoken from that. And what I will say is that I think some of the things that we're going to explore and look at today may be challenging for some of you. It might be a different angle, a different perspective to look at these things, um, especially if you've grown up in a, in a culture where guilt is the motivating factor for coming to church, right? If, uh, if guilt is the motivating, motivating factor in your faith, then this will be a challenge for you because uh, there's no guilt in this. Uh, and God is not a God who wants us to uh, live and operate out of guilt, but he wants us to operate out of freedom and life and hope. Um, and so that's the culture of, of what we're going to do. So I want to pray before we we begin. Is that okay? Nobody said yes, but I'm going to do it anyway. All right, so let's close our eyes for a moment. Father, I pray today, I pray this morning, thank you that you're already here. Thank you that you've already been moving powerfully through worship this morning. Uh, thank you, God, for those, uh, those words of truth that we've been singing about who you are. Um, we thank you, God, that you have drawn us near to you, God. I pray this morning, God, for the words that I share and the words that we hear. I pray, God, you would even edit my words now as I speak them. But God, anything that you're speaking, I pray you let it take root in our hearts. I pray that there would be just like the, the road to Emmaus when the people were walking with Jesus and they didn't know who he was, where they turned to each other and they said, we're not our hearts burning within us as he spoke to us. I pray, God, you would speak the same, that our hearts would burn within us for what you're speaking, for what you're releasing. And we pray this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you could actually call the Ten Commandments 10 Keys to Stronger Families. 
You could call, call the Ten Commandments ten principles for a successful life. You could call them uh, ten strategies to improve your world. And they would do that. You could actually do that. Like you could take the Ten Commandments and you could take them out of context. You could take them out of relationship with Jesus. And if you began to live by them, you'd actually see your life improve somewhat. In fact, when you look at our culture today, most of the Western culture, uh, it's changing now, but for such a long time, the Ten Commandments were actually the base of our law system, were the base of a lot of the, the moral law that we, we had. And, it, and of course, it's changing, but the reality is if we lived according to those things, our lives would improve, right? So, which is great and fantastic. But we can mistakenly think that these uh, commandments, they actually exist to make us, to use a Northern Ireland term, good living. Anyone use that term? Make, them, make us good living. Yeah. The thing is, God had so much more in mind for us than just 10 statements for life. He had so much more in mind for us that was available to us than just to make us a moral people. Now, the Ten Commandments, they do make us morally good. They, make us, they improve us morally. But it's so much more than that. God's ultimate goal for that stuff was actually for us to draw us close to him. The goal of the commandments was not for us to be morally good, but the goal of them was to draw us closer and nearer to him. As R.C. Sproul, R.C. Sproul is a, a famous theologian. Um, he started the Gospel Coalition and a bunch of different things um, in the States, and uh, he died uh, a couple of years ago now. But he said, um, he said about the commandments that they were given to protect access to the presence of God. So when the commandments were given, they were given to the Israelites who were in the wilderness, as Neil was talking to us earlier about, um, and their camp, they camped around the tent of meeting. They camped around the place of God's presence. And actually, the commandments were given to protect access to the presence, because if they broke the commandments, they wouldn't have access to the presence of God. And so over around here, we've been seeing um, a bit of a change and a shift happening recently where God's been moving and he's been doing some beautiful things, like really incredible, kind things with us. Um, and as his presence draws near to us, suddenly we become so much more aware of the mess that we have in our lives. <laughs> Isn't that true? It's like God does incredible things and his presence comes and we feel, we feel, oh, he's so good and he's so kind, but he is so holy and he's so awesome, he is powerful. And when he comes close to us, we begin to see, wow, we've got so much mess in our lives. Um, the best way to illustrate this is, um, you know when somebody calls to your house unannounced and uh, you're happy enough the way the house is when you're sitting in it, but as soon as they walk through the door, you're looking at the mess everywhere and you go, oh no. And suddenly you're trying to pick up all the, you know, everything lying around, shove it in the utility room or stick it in the cupboard under the stairs and you're hoping nobody goes into that room and you're thinking, oh, clear up quick, clear up quick. It's too late the person's already there right so you actually see your house through their perspective that's kind of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and visits us when Jesus and the Father are in the house it's like he's here already and suddenly you begin to see the mess that's in your life right and suddenly you begin to think, oh, there's so much stuff I gotta clear up here. There's so much stuff I gotta begin to tidy away and begin to work with. When the Holy Spirit, when his presence comes, there's a process in us that we actually sort stuff out because he is drawing us near to him and as he draws us near there's more stuff and more things that we lay down and surrender to him we don't do that in order to get God to move here's something that's really important we really need to get at the very start of this we don't do this stuff we don't like come before God with repentance and come before God with uh, for asking him for forgiveness in order to try and get him to move 
He's already here. He's already there. You can't force him to do anything. He is God. He's here. And because he's here, it requires us to respond to that, right? It's what repentance actually means. The word repentance means to be transformed. It's the transforming of our mind uh, when, you're at pre- when you're present with God, metanoia. It's like being transformed after being with. It's when Jesus draws near to us, that's when true change happens. That's when it really happens. And so this is what we need to do. And this is the culture and the context of the Ten Commandments. God's presence is already with the people. He's not trying to get them to do something in order to welcome his presence in. His presence is with the people already. And when we hear these commandments as simply statements, we actually do something. We divorce his voice from his presence. If we just take them as statements, we separate his voice and his presence. And it was never meant to be like that. Because here's, here's something I want to say to you from the bat. It's impossible to live under his voice while being separate from his presence. You can't live under the voice of God and be separate from his presence. In order to do what God wants us to do, we need to be with him. In other words, put it like this, your obedience will never exceed your experience of him. You'll never be able to be somebody who does what God wants if you don't know him. If you don't know him, you'll never be able to do what he wants. You can't forget this, okay? So the commandments were given in a context of the manifest presence of God. So if we turn to Exodus chapter 20, that's okay. This is when the 10 commandments are given. We'll flick back and forwards just a little bit. But Exodus 20 and verse 18. And this is just after when the commandments were given, okay? It says, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. (laughs) So think about this. They are there, they're looking at Mount Sinai and they see it covered in thunder and lightning. They see a cloud of thick smoke coming over it. Not only that, they actually hear a trumpet being sounded on the mountain by God. There's actually this trumpet being sounded on the mountain and they're going, whoa, God's presence, his holiness, everything is there. They camped near the bottom of it and they saw it. It was an incredible, scary moment for them, wasn't it? Like it wasn't just like a a lovely, they didn't write like a lovely, you know, worship song to this. They were on their face panicked before God because they saw the presence and the holiness of God. They begged Moses, don't let God speak to us or we'll die. Don't let him speak to us. When God's presence comes, it comes in love, but it also comes in power. And when his power is there, it also creates this reaction to us. He is awesome. He is awful. It creates honor, lives, and surrender. And when God sounds this uh, trumpet and he's showing all these signs and wonders, he's actually saying to his people in this moment, I want you to pay close attention to what I've said. Like, I want you to pay attention to what I am saying to you. This is really, really, really important. That's why he was doing it. His presence was there and he was saying, I want you to pay attention to what I'm saying. So the Israelites in this moment, they knew that the Ten Commandments were serious. They knew this is not something to be taken lightly. This is a serious thing. They were given in an atmosphere of God's presence and in a demonstration of his power. And then he speaks. He speaks. But when we separate his voice from his presence, the commandments become statements and they lose their power in our lives. 
So let's examine the context of what's happening here today, okay? Um, there's lots, I wanna get through as much as possible today, so we'll, we'll fly through this. Um, and uh, if you need anything or you want these notes or anything, come and talk to me afterwards and I'll give them to you. Uh, but when we read through the book of Exodus, uh, we're actually seeing a new culture emerge. We're seeing these Israelites who were slaves for about 400 years in Egypt. God is bringing them out of Egypt and he sends in Moses. And Moses, very interestingly, was an Israelite um, but he actually grew up in the house of Pharaoh. He grew up in, as royalty, so he understood royalty. He understood how those things worked. And then God sends Moses in to liberate the people. And then God begins to move miraculously because Pharaoh doesn't want to lose these people. God begins to move miraculously and there are 10 um, major signs and wonders that releases them from captivity. The Israelites at this point, they don't really know too much about this God that is freeing them. They don't have the Torah at that point. The Torah, the first five books of the Bible, they don't have that. Moses writes that later. So all they know about God are the stories from their forefathers, right? And they also know that this is the God who makes the impossible possible. This is the God who is freeing us from slavery. That's what they know of God in that moment. So when they consider who their God is, when they think about who their God is, they don't think about a God who's relegated to history books. They don't think about a God who once did amazing things. They don't think about the God who created the world. They actually think about the God who is bringing them freedom through miraculous signs and wonders. A God who makes the impossible possible. Do you see that? That's their, that's their viewpoint of who God is. So when God comes and he gives them these 10 commandments, these commandments were pretty much impossible for them to live by, which they soon found out. I mean, it didn't actually take, it took the time for Moses to come down off the mountain for them to already break two of them, right? Like they, before they even saw them, they had already broken two. So it was actually pretty impossible for them to fully live by. But what they knew was that this God would make things that were impossible, possible. So even if something looked like they could never do it, they believed that this God could do it for them. And so God is taking these guys out of Egypt and taking them out of slavery, and he's bringing them into a new land. And of course, there's a process from coming from Egypt to this new land that God is giving them, which we would call the promised land. And then as Neil very eloquently spoke about earlier, there was the wilderness period in between. The issue here is, is the new land they're going to actually has its own culture already. They're leaving one culture of slavery and they're moving into this new culture of freedom that they want to carry, but the new land they're going into has a culture already. So these guys cannot come into this new place. They can't step into this new land and just assimilate, just become like the people that are already there because if they do that, they're going to mess up all the plans, all the promises, all the purposes that God has for them. So there's a process of transformation that needs to happen on the way. It's a really important process that they have to do it because they need to become the people of freedom that they were designed to be. They need to become the people of freedom. And this is what God is doing in them. He's not making them feel inferior when he's giving them commandments. He's actually giving them the stuff for their transformation. You get that? That there has to be a transformation in their lives. They can't just journey, they can't just leave Egypt and then just do whatever they want. There has to be a transformation in order to step in to what God has for them to become the people that God wants them to be. It's really important that we understand this. There's a process that needs to happen. I heard somebody once say this though. The culture that you've been handed is not the culture you've been landed with. 
The culture you've been handed is not the culture you've been landed with. It's really important for us to know that uh, just because you've inherited a particular culture in your life, whether it's your family or whether it's our uh, nation or whatever it is, just because you've been uh, given that, it doesn't mean you're landed with it. And as God's chosen people, we actually have to tell a different story. This is why we're here. God has put us here not to just uh, assimilate to the culture, but actually to bring transformation to it. We do not, as the church, take our cues from whoever or whatever has the loudest voice in our culture. That's not how it works for us. We take our cues from what the Father says. What is the Father speaking? What is the Father releasing? What is He declaring? In the Old Testament, at this moment, God established a new government. The government He established was called a theocracy. It wasn't a democracy. It wasn't communism. It was a theocracy. It was like, if God says it, we obey it, right? It was a theocracy, and that's what we live by. We say, what is God speaking? And we live according to that. Now, this week, we have seen major changes in policies in, in, in Northern Ireland in regards to law and morality. Um, but the reality is this, Jesus is still Lord. And it has never changed. He is still sitting on the throne. And no matter who sits in government or who doesn't sit in government, he's still in charge. And it's our responsibility to work in partnership with the Holy Spirit to release a new atmosphere of freedom and hope over our cities and over our nation. You know, it's, it's not our job to, it's not our mandate to have a showdown with the culture. It's actually our mandate to show up in our culture. We have to show up and actually proclaim something new. So it's up to us to actually step in and step up. Some of us actually have to step up to this and step out in it as well. Because the reality is this. The city is waiting for people to come to tell a different story. The city's waiting for somebody to come carrying hope. Most of our laws and most of our things happen because of hopelessness responding to hopelessness. How do we deal with hopelessness? But actually, God's inviting us to tell a story of hope and actually bring the transformation that way. And when Jesus starts his ministry, we see that he actually says, the Lord has set me apart. He's put me here to preach the gospel, the good news to the poor, to the broken, to the captives, to the prisoners, to the people on the outside. It's a message of hope. And he's asking us to carry on that message too, which is amazing. So in this moment with the Israelites, getting back in there, they saw the power of God, they encountered the presence of God, they heard the voice of God, but they still thought like slaves. So even though they saw God's power, they sensed his presence, they saw it there, they heard his voice, they still thought like slaves. They had left Egypt, I'm sure you've heard this before, they left Egypt, but Egypt hadn't left them. It was still in them. It's like that saying, I'm sure you know it, right? It's like you can take the boy out of Donegal, but you can't take Donegal out of the boy, right? So you, can't, you can take him out of there, but he's still going to think like a tractor. You know, it's like wherever he goes. I can say that I'm from Donegal, right? Uh, so you think, sorry, fellow Donegalians. But it's true, right? It's true. Where it's an interesting part of human nature. It's, it's this thing that is built into us. I'm sure you've seen it happen, but people tend to get into the same routines. They tend to get into the same stuff, like the circle of stuff that's happening in their lives. It can be a good thing, but also can be a bad thing. We see people who are in like desperate relationships in their lives, and they get free from that relationship, and suddenly you see them getting back into the same cycle again. They return to the same thing. Same with people who maybe have addictions in their life. They may get out of a particular type of addiction. They might get a bit free from that. But if there isn't like an internal transformation that happens within them, you actually see the cycle returning again. It might not even happen with the same substance or same thing. It just gets misplaced somewhere else. You finally get out of the circumstance you're in, but you return again to the similar thing if there isn't this transformation. 
People can be externally liberated from whatever it is, but unless there's an internal transformation, we'll just return to that cycle. This is why the hope center for us is not just gonna become a rescue center, right? Rescue centers are great, but if all we do is meet people in crisis, which is good, and don't seek their transformation, the sad reality is they're just gonna return to the same cycle in their lives all the time. And all we're gonna do is create a culture of dependency. But what we need to do is seek for the transformation of their lives, seek for the transformation of their minds and their hearts, which is why it's not called the Cornerstone Food Bank, it's called the Cornerstone Hope Center. Because <laughs> we're not gonna create a culture of dependency, we're creating a culture of transformation. That's what we're here for and that's what we're here to do. And you know, as Christians, we can have the most radical encounter with Jesus, but if we don't learn to think differently, we'll eventually return to the way we were. Jesus is still real, but we haven't learned to stop thinking like a slave. And this is what the word repentance means, like we talked about earlier, is to be transformed after being with Jesus. It's this constant process. Paul says it like this in Romans 12 too. He said, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Paul, I think, was one of the original cognitive behavioral therapists because in another moment, he says in 2 Corinthians 10, five, he said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Paul's teaching us actually for the renewal of our minds, for the transformation of our minds, to take our thoughts and lay them before Jesus, take them captive and put them before Jesus as an offering for this continuing process, a continual process of transformation in our lives. That's why repentance is never just a one-time thing. It's a constant, continual thing because we're constantly being changed and transformed into the likeness of Jesus. We're constantly being changed and transformed into to being his people. And this is the main goal of the commandments, to lift us out of slavery and to lift us into freedom, right? We get, we're starting to get it, that God is starting to lift us out of slavery and lift us into freedom. And he wants to take the slavery out of our hearts and out of our minds. So back to Exodus 20. In Exodus 20, verses 1 to 2, it says this, And God spoke all these words. But I even love those first three lines, and God spoke. Like when, and whenever you see in Scripture, this is not in the notes, but whenever you see in Scripture, it says, and God spoke, something changes. There's always something that changes and transforms. Usually something is created, right? When God speaks, something is transformed, something is birthed, something is new. And God spoke all these words. He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. So God is coming to his people in this moment and he's making a declaration, making a manifesto, if you will, okay? This was actually um, a very common practice for kings uh, who would come and conquer a new land. They would come to the people they've just conquered and they would come before them, come before all the royalty and all the nobility and they would say, I am such and such, so I am Pharaoh, king of Egypt, something like that. And these are the terms uh, that I'm offering you. These are the terms of my reign. And so they would make a list of things that the people would have to be obedient to, right? When they would conquer and bring people into slavery. So God is standing up and he's making a declaration. He's making like this manifesto of these are my terms. But instead of God talking and saying, I'm going to bring you into slavery, his is different. He's saying, I'm bringing you 
out of slavery. I'm releasing you out of slavery. And read it again in verse two. It says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. We need to remember that. Out of the land of slavery. I'm the Lord your God. The Lord, when he says this, he's saying, I'm the God who was, I'm the God who is, and I'm the God who forever will be. That's what he's saying. When he says, I am God, I'm the God who was, the God who is, and the God who forever will be, and I am taking you out of slavery. You need to understand that. It's never God's intention to bring you into slavery. God will never do that. That is not his heart. That is not his agenda. He doesn't do that. And if you find yourself in slavery, I'm telling you, it's not God. It's probably men. It's probably religion. It's probably somebody on a power trip. It's not God. God does not enslave you. He brings you into freedom. When God sets you free, he literally frees you. (laughs) He sets you to be free to be free, right? We're gonna see this over the coming weeks as we narrow into the commandments, but God's goal in all of this is for freedom, to bring us and release us into freedom. But slavery is the position of perpetual dishonor. Slavery is the position of perpetual dishonor, and God wants to take us out of dishonor. And the only way people will be released from, free, uh, from slavery is when you teach people how to honor. And that's actually what the Ten Commandments are about. We could work through them all right now. Uh, but I mean, just one of them, honor your father and your mother. Many of us think that murdering somebody is honorable to them, right? No, uh, don't commit adultery, it's not honorable, right? There's actually a, a, a trend all the way through these commandments to do with honor. And when Jesus is asked about the commandments, he's approached by some Pharisees at one point, some teachers of the law, and they said, Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And this is what Jesus' answer was in Matthew 22, verse 36 to 40. He said, they asked him, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus repl- replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, right? So loving God with everything and loving your neighbor as if you're loving yourself, right? As if it's you. He's saying that is the sum of the commandments. It's just full of honor. And any time I look at people and I fail to see who they are and only see what they can do for me, that's a slave mindset. If you look at people and think, I wonder what they can do for me. I wonder what I can get out of them. I wonder how they can serve me. I wonder how they can serve my vision. I don't know, I'm sure none of you have ever thought that. I wonder how Cornerstone can serve me. That's a slave mindset. And you meet some people and they feel like they're entitled to everything. You ever met somebody like that? They just feel like they're entitled to everything. Nothing you do is good enough for them, right? You do, you go the extra mile, you do stuff and they're just like, oh, give me more. That's not enough. Give me more. They're just not thankful. What do you want to do with somebody like that? Be honest. You want to slap them, don't you? You want to give them a slap. You know, that's, that's not our official line of pastoral care in the church. You just, just so you know. I think uh, Chris's uh, pastoral care is cuddling or kicking. I think that's what we said. Is that you give him a cuddler? No, I'm only joking, Chris. Um, but it's true, isn't it? It's, uh, it's, it's just hard. It's difficult when you've got entitled people because that's a slave mentality. That's not the mentality of a free person because all they're thinking about is what people can do for them. We've said it before, but I want to just push this and really push the button on a little bit more. But flattery is the opposite of honor. Flattery is puffing somebody up in order to get them to do something for you. That's a form of manipulation. It's manipulation. Honor is seeing others according to what the Father says about them. 
Honor is actually seeing people according to the value that God places on them. It sees them through his lens. It sees them through his eyes. Honor aligns itself to the Father's perspective. So it's really important for us in this moment too to ask, well, God, what do you see in me? Who do you call me? What do you call me as? And it's funny, right? He's called a father because he sees you as a son and a daughter. He's called a father because he sees you as a son and a daughter. Listen to what God speaks to Moses just before this, just before the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 19, verse 4 to 6. He says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to what? Brought you to myself. Isn't that beautiful? I brought you to myself. Remember we mentioned that the voice was never separated from his presence? We see in this moment that God's saying, listen, I did all this stuff. I did all the miraculous things. I sent all those plagues and did all these things. I did it because I wanted to draw you where? To myself to myself. It's incredible. God Almighty. Verse 5. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. These are the same words that the apostle Peter then uses in 2 Peter 2 and 9 which apply to all who belong to Jesus. All who belong to Jesus. These are incredible words, that you are the Lord's treasured possession. Turn to the person beside you and say, pleased to meet you, treasured possession. All right, go on. Say, pleased to meet you, treasured possession. Right? Some of you are taking that very, uh, very well. That's good. And here's the thing, right? We talked about guilt earlier and uh, any, any religious mindset or slavery mindset, it thrives on guilt and it tries to keep you in that mindset and keep reminding you of Egypt, keep reminding you of your past, keep reminding you of all that stuff. It even tries to remind you how things used to be good back in the days of incarceration, right? And it just plays with your mind. It reminds you of your shortcomings. And do you know what it does? It calls you a sinner as well. It calls you a sinner. And this is really important. Sinner is who you were, but after God came in the flesh as the man, Jesus Christ, when he dies on the cross, when he scorns the shame, when he takes the identity of sin on the cross and he dies, he kills the power of sin in our lives. Jesus actually kills the power of sin in our lives. And when Jesus rose again from the, uh, from the dead, when he rose three days later, guess what didn't rise with him? Something stayed six foot under when Jesus, it was the power of sin. So Jesus actually defeated sin on the cross, right? Do we agree with that this morning? Is that something we can say amen to? Jesus defeated the power of sin on the cross. He did that. Now, when you come to faith in Jesus, you are given a new name. You have a new identity. The Father does not call you sinner. He calls you treasured possession. (laughs) He calls you treasured possession. He calls you a son. He calls you a daughter. He draws you to himself. That's what God does for you. In fact, he doesn't just call you uh, son and daughter. He calls you royalty. He calls you a kingdom of priests, right? He calls you royalty. You're a son and a daughter of the king of kings and the Lord most high. 
A slave, this, again, I'm just totally going off track here, but a slave thinks about what people can do for me, but actually a king or a queen thinks about how can I supply the destiny of the people around me? It's a different mindset. That's why royalty don't need to steal, right? Because they've already got everything. <laughs> they don't need to steal, right? They already have access to everything. Everything's theirs. They don't need to steal. But a royalty turn around, they go, actually, how can I supply the destiny of the people that are around me? It's a different mindset. How can I supply the freedom and the hope and the thing that God is declaring over them? We're coming into a close. The Father doesn't call you sinner. He calls you treasured possession. He calls you a son and he calls you a daughter. John chapter 8, verse 31. This is Jesus. He said, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So what's the goal of Jesus' teaching? Freedom, right? It's not a trick question. I wasn't trying to trick you. It's freedom, right? If you hold to my teaching, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free, right? It's true. So the goal of Jesus' teaching is freedom, just like we read about earlier on, about God leading the Israelites out of slavery into freedom. Verse 33, they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and we have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Now, let me ask you a question. Was that a true statement that they made? <laughs> no. <laughs> they've, they've been slaves lots of times. They're probably more time with slaves than they were free people. So they're lying, <laughs> right? They're lying because Jesus is actually challenging them. Um, and Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you. Maybe in your Bible it says truly, truly, or verily, verily, whatever it is, depending on your time. But anytime you see this phrase, truly, truly, or very truly, or whatever it is, it's Jesus actually saying, listen, I need you to pay attention to what I'm about to say. And what I'm about to say is going to mess you up. <laughs> what I'm about to say right now is going to mess everything that you thought was normal and was a, the right thing to do, the ordinary way. I'm going to mess with that. I'm giving you a new paradigm of thinking right now. I'm going to challenge your core beliefs. And he says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family but a son belongs to it forever. A son belongs to it forever. But when we say son there, it's encompassing male and female. It's the generic term for children. A son uh, belongs to it forever. So if the son, with a capital S, if the son sets you free, being Jesus, you will be free indeed. Isn't that amazing? When God makes you his son and he makes you his daughter, he brings you into everything that he has. He brings you into his family. He brings you to the table of his family. And the amazing thing was, when Jesus came, Jesus didn't come to get rid of the commandments. He didn't come to get rid of the law. Jesus says, I've, I've come to fulfill the law. I've come to complete it. So instead of you looking at the law as something that's impossible to achieve, now you look at it from a different mindset as an invitation to life, as an invitation to freedom. Where God doesn't come and say, you better obey these commandments or I'm getting you out of the house. He's saying, no, no, you're my son, you're my daughter. This is who you are. <laughs> it's a different thing. Jesus fulfills the law so that the law actually becomes a promise for us. It's something that we get to step into. And in fact, Jesus 
takes it and he makes it worse. He makes the law worse. He says, you know those things that you're thinking about? You know, you know when you, we look at the law and says, don't murder and don't commit adultery. But if you journey that stuff in your heart at all, you've already broken the law. <laughs> like if you journey that stuff and you think it through in your heart and you don't even a- activate it, you just journey that, you've already broken the heart of the commandments. You've already broken the, the very culture and the context that these things were released in. And so Jesus is saying, listen, I've come and I've come to deal with that. And now my finished work means that you can become a people of my presence again. That the presence of God can come and actually can dwell in your midst again. That actually you can camp around my presence. You can be a people of my presence, of my voice, and of my power. That's his invitation to us today. That we can step into his house once again. He's inviting us to step out of slavery, and he's inviting us to step into freedom and to step into honor, okay? And we're gonna see that, and of course, again, today was just an introduction to this, but we're gonna see that as we journey through the commandments and how he releases those things in our lives through the various, uh, the various commandments he gives to us. So I'd just love to pray for us this morning, if that's okay. Uh, thank you, you've, been, you've done really well sticking with all that stuff and all that information, uh, but I'm gonna pray, and then we're just gonna invite and see if uh, the Lord wants to do anything with us this morning, um, and then we'll, we'll close up for the day. So let's close our eyes, if that's okay. Come, Lord God. Come, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that you came to set us free, Father. But, Lord, it's not a freedom that is like a freedom that is talked about in our culture, in our society, a freedom to do what we want. It's actually a freedom to step into who we're called to be in you, Father. It's actually this freedom that leads us into sonship. It leads us into the family of God. So I just pray for every heart right now that's in the room that actually feels like they're caught in a cycle of that slavery mindset where it's like, I just, I just can't get out of this. I just don't feel free. I don't feel like a child of God. I don't feel like I have access to the family. We just pray, Father, right now that you would come and you would just release your freedom over every heart. Come, Holy Spirit. Just begin to release your freedom over every heart. Father, I pray that you begin to transform our minds to think of, to stop thinking about trying to perform our way into being holy and actually live from what you've done on the cross as holy and righteous people. That there's an invitation available to us, Father, to step in to becoming all that you've called us to be. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. For some of us in here today, you need to clean up the house and you know you do. The Holy Spirit's been moving, he's been speaking, he's been doing stuff in your life. It's time to clean up the house. It's time to get it ready. Because there's more he has for you, more he's inviting you into. It's time to clean it up. It's time to clean it up. 
also sense there's uh, people in, in, in some work. Um, I think it could be teaching, but I feel like you're, you feel like you're in a place where um, you're giving your best and you're, and you're really pouring into that, but um, it's so limited and so restrictive. You feel like that you're witness. You feel like you're... Um, feel like you can't actually express who you are and what God's calling you to do. I want you to encourage you today that you, God is placing a new freedom on your life and he's releasing a new favor on your life with that. That you're, even though you may not be able to declare some things and speak some things out, I think that God's gonna begin moving and positioning and doing stuff that um, is gonna release his kingdom through you and your workplace. I think it's for teachers. So if you're a teacher, I just wanna release that. So Lord, I pray you just bless our teachers as they uh, educate our children, as they um, raise up this next generation of people. Father, I pray that actually your kingdom would begin to pour out of these guys in a new and incredible way. God, that there would be an increase in and just the, the culture and the atmosphere of freedom and of peace in these schools and that kids without even understanding what's going on as they encounter the presence of God that they would just they would just feel this um, just like the Ulster revival God that they would come and they would know that they need to get right before the Lord they would need to get right before the Lord. We're, we're going the whole way, Lord. We're asking God that you would just bring in a, like a revival that would start from our schools out the way, Father. That our children would encounter you and God, our children would lead us into your presence, would lead us into a move of God, of returning to you, of surrendering to you. And Father, I pray for the teachers in this room now, Father, would you prepare them to be the people who carry that, Lord? The people who carry that, Father, who carry your message, who carry your voice, who carry your presence in all that they do, God. So we just release that in the room. In the name of Jesus, through the power of the Holy Spirit, would you do it, Lord? Would you do it, Lord? And even for some of us in the room today, and we don't know Jesus yet, and you're saying, listen, I, I need to get right with Jesus. You know that God's been knocking on your life, and he's saying, listen, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting for you. It's time we get it right. And you know it. You've had that heart burning within you. You say, I need to come to Jesus. I know I need to come to Jesus. Well, don't, don't let it wait. Don't let it wait. Make that decision today. Come to Jesus today and watch what he does and how he brings transformation of freedom and life to you, okay? So Lord, just have your way in all that we do this week. I pray that God, that we would be a people who don't shrink back, but we are people who step forward. God, that we don't try and uh, have a standoff uh, or a, like a showdown with culture, but God, that we actually show up and bring your voice and bring your heart and bring your hope and bring your freedom, that we begin to tell a different story. Uh, and Lord, that your name would be glorified in all that we do, Jesus. So we pray this in your mighty name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen.